Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keating. I'm joined this morning by Tom Victor as we run the rule over what was another busy, well, fairly busy weekend in the Premier League. Yes, only half the teams were in action and even then we've still got a game tonight. Monday morning we're recording this uh, and Monday evening we've got Wolves uh, against Brighton in the Premier League to come. So, so of course, we've only actually got four games to go through. But Tom, go through them, we will. Uh, and we'll come on a little bit later on in the show to the latest from the transfer window as well. Of course, there is still plenty to go out in that as we tick down towards deadline day next week. Tom, where we're going to start though is going to be on the South Coast where Liverpool recorded a 4-0 win over Bournemouth on Sunday. Um, going into this fixture and I suppose for, for their fixtures for the rest of January there's been a lot of talk around the fact that Liverpool are without Mohamed Salah who was of course away on Africa Cup of Nations duty has picked up an injury uh, on that as well so he could be returning to Liverpool to do his rehab potentially going back out to the tournament there um, but but besides Salah Liverpool were without him at the weekend but no problem for him really everyone was kind of worried about how his Liverpool side would perform without Mohamed Salah this month uh, a guy uh, and a man who has, has been leading their charge uh, in the Premier League so far this season but without him Diogo Jota scores twice and Darwin Nunes scores twice no Salah no problem yeah I think um, obviously it's a potential blow on skin of a game with last season's trip to Bournemouth being you know missed penalty from Salah defeat Bournemouth in not too bad form going into the game as well and have really looked like they've figured out how um, Andoni Areola wants them to be playing so yeah definitely one that Liverpool wouldn't be underestimating going into it. Um, and, you know, you, you saw Jürgen Klopp speaking after the game about how he was, you know, he felt he was kind of happy that it was nil-nil at half-time after how poorly they started. So the fact that not only can they win games that side, but they can win games where it's not all going their way. It's not kind of getting an early goal, hit them on the break, hit them on the break again. Um, so it does show they have different ways of winning football matches, which can only be a positive for you know, between now and May, really. For anyone listening along this morning, feel free to get involved in the comments section, uh, of course, or if you're watching or listening to this back, you can find us uh, on most social media platforms with the handle uh, at Mirror Football. So that's across Facebook, X and YouTube, where you can find us uh, at Mirror Football. Um, and one thing that might stir up a bit debate, Tom, though, is... Uh, Diogo Jota. Uh, now today on the Mirror you can read a lovely debate piece where uh, our best and brightest writers have been giving their uh, opinions on this uh, subject but Jamie Carragher after the game suggesting that Diogo Jota was uh, or is Liverpool's best finisher in the Premier League uh, very clinical with his uh, when the chances come his way for sure and, and both of those goals at the weekend uh, at Bournemouth on Sunday were very clinical, very good finishes, um, you know, with not much kind of room or angles to work with. So in that respect, is, is Carragher correct? I mean, of course, it jumps out and you kind of look at the list of, of you know, strikers that Liverpool have had in the Premier League, you know, Michael Owen, Luis Suarez, Fernando Torres, you know, even Mohamed Salah as well. Their, their goals to game ratio and the goals that they've produced and the amount of goals, number of goals, you kind of go, what, what is Carragher talking about? But actually then when you kind of, you know, look at the chances and the um, and and what he actually means is that when those chances come along for Jota, it's, it's not very often that he misses the target, is it? And you can kind of see, do you, do you agree with Carragher on this respect? And could perhaps a return of Diogo Jota to a starting 11 for Liverpool, a regular starting 11 for Liverpool, uh, could that be the difference in the title race for them? 
obviously Diogo Jota has had his injury issues. He's had uh, spells out of the game, struggling to get a rhythm. But this is a player who not that long ago went 30 games without scoring, I think it was. Um, that's that's hard to square with Carrier's comments, however, however good the finishes were against Bournemouth. Um, I think Jota, as with a few sort of top strikes in the Premier League, can be a streaky player, can be a uh, can look like the best finisher in the league for spells and then have a month or two where, you know, it's not coming off for him. Um, in terms of Carrier's comment about Liverpool strikers, I think you look at Owen, you look at Fowler as like the two, almost the gold standard for that. Suarez in his hot season was was doing it from close ranges, doing it from long ranges, doing it from pretty much everywhere and creating for everyone. So I, th- I think he's, I think to to give that honour to Jota at this point is maybe getting ahead of himself. That's not to take away from how, how great he was against Bournemouth on Sunday, but I think, you know, we're all prone to a bit of exaggeration here and again. And I think I, I'm going to say that's what that was. Talking of finding your score in touch, I suppose we have to give an honourable mention to Arsenal in this category as well. Uh, Starting the weekend's action with a 5-0 win at home to Crystal Palace. Uh, Much has been spoken about Arsenal's lack of goals in recent weeks in all competitions, I suppose. Um, They're kind of, you know, you still expect them, you still probably sit here now and and we'll probably both agree that they still need a striker. But for the confidence of that team, at least anyway, for them to get back amongst the goals and, you know, for, for as bad as Crystal Palace were and, and they kind of capitulated, I think, towards the end of that game and, and really kind of made it easy for Arsenal to rack up the goals, it doesn't matter. Their confidence is still going to be really high now. This team believes and knows that they can score goals again, whereas previously, obviously, it looked a little bit of a struggle for them. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you look at the recent games, look at the um, the West Ham, Fulham, uh, Liverpool run. And I think... What Mikel Arteta would have probably been telling his team after those matches was, you know, the Fulham one, that is a worry. They, they not only were they not scoring, they were not really creating enough. They were, they were looking fairly ordinary throughout. I mean, the West Ham game, the Liverpool game, you know, you look at those, they could have scored two or three in those and also two, two or three in the Palace game. And I think it would have synced pretty well with the chances they're creating the, the amount of sight of goal they were getting in all those matches. Um, so I think they were always due something like the Palace game, especially against a team where, as you say, they as soon as, as soon as the third goal went in, I think that was, you know, both both teams realised game over and Arsenal thought, ah, well, Martinelli's come on, he's he's got something to prove. He can he can pad his stats a bit and from from the psychological point of view, that's you'd think that's gonna be great for them. They've got you know, return to Europe coming up not too far in the future. And yes, it, it is about momentum at this stage in the season. So you've got to hope that that's something they can build on. And, you know, a break, not playing the FA Cup next time out. It's whether they can deal with that and think, okay, we've now got, you know, eight or nine days, I think it is, until the next match. And yeah, is the rest going to going to harm them rather than help them at this point? Yeah, I was going to say that the fact that they're out of the FA Cup, is is that going to be a hindrance to them? Because, of course, before the weekend, they hadn't played since their FA Cup exit, the way that the, uh, the the Premier League winter breaks worked out, Arsenal playing in the second batch of fixtures. So it kind of feels like this month maybe is a bit stop-start for them. Yes, they've got the confidence back in them and they'll be delighted, you know, kind of they can draw a line under that run of games, as you said there, West Ham, Fulham and then Liverpool in the Cup. They can draw a line under that. That was before a break. We can, we can you know, move on past that. 
But now, as you said there, they've still got over a week to go before their next match. And and they probably now would have wanted it to be, you know, not even this weekend. They probably would have wanted their next game to be Tuesday, just again, so that they can get back in that rhythm, that flow, as you said there. So is this, you know, is this a challenging week for Mikel Arteta in the fact that, yes, they haven't got a game, but he has to somehow keep that momentum going and building towards that next game for Arsenal? I think from that point of view, absolutely. I think he's... Um... You've seen the benefit of the rest, the, the warm weather training before the Palace game, um, especially against the Palace team who, you know, because their FA Cup replay didn't really get a chance to to have that break to recharge. So, yeah, it's 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 a case of, okay, you're going to lose the, the momentum for that ball. So I think, speak to Arsenal fans now, they'll, they'll tell you the most important thing at this point in the season was some of their attacking players looking hugely need a rest, especially Bukayo Saka, who's... You know, barely missed a minute when he's been fit. Played games which maybe he could have been rested for, and I think him him being well rested, him not having extra FA Cup games as well to, you know, to to sap those energy levels. I think you know that's something that you'd think would be great for us, and also you know looking towards the summer for England. Talking about England and the summer, you've given me a nice little segue there. Uh, one man who will be hoping to be uh, forcing his way to England's Euro squad is, of course, Ivan Tony. Um, and in terms of his return at the weekend, there was a lot of noise around it, for sure, and a lot of talk around it. Um, and I suppose kind of, for me at least anyway, I was kind of sat there going, you know, I wonder if he's going to you know, make his return, if he's going to take him a couple of weeks to get up to speed. And it only took him really 19 minutes in the end, didn't it, for him to, uh, to, to silence me and anyone else who might have had a few doubts about how long it might take Ivan Tony to get back into the swing of things. But important for him, wasn't it, at the weekend to, to get a goal for Brentford in that 3-2 win over Nottingham Forest to kind of say, you know, I am back. This is this is me. And the confidence he'll take from that going forward into the, into the coming weeks is going to be huge, not just for the player, but for Brentford as well, to have... Tony back firing and especially after what was a difficult run of form for them as well you know not winning games sliding down the table and now their star man's back and scoring goals looking at the goals he was scoring behind closed doors in in kind of BT matches over the last few weeks it was clear confidence wasn't an issue for him and it is just you know a situation of he's going to be playing at a high level of football he's going to be playing against better defences he's going to have that challenge rather than the challenge of finding his rhythm but um yeah, I think his last goal before the ban was against Forest. It's a lovely game to be able to come back into. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll see in the coming weeks whether it's just, you know, he's, he scored one and his comeback game and, and you know, the rhythm isn't quite what it was. But I mean, that's the same for any player. Um, players, players will be coming back from injury now and have the same issues. Um, I think at this point for Brentford, the, the key was, you know, three or four defeats in a row, just getting points on the board relieving a bit of that pressure uh, I don't I don't see them go down this season but there were probably you know some people thinking okay this sort of run of defeats it's got to stop at some point we need to make sure that is sooner rather than later and having having Tony back especially with Zambuma, um some way away from recovery is you know they'll be breathing a sigh of relief and hoping that yeah it's it's not just one free kick in one game and it's the start of the ball of course, the goal itself was uh, controversial in the fact that 
uh, Tony, uh, perhaps to provide something uh, akin to the dark arts, shall we say, uh, in the free kick, moving it to a slightly different angle. I must love as well the, the attention to detail to move a bit of the vanishing foam as well to make sure that the referee didn't notice it. So in actual fact, actually props to him for spotting that, realising you know how to make it really, really look realistic and the fact that nothing had gone on towards there. Um, you know, fair play to him for that. But of course, Nottingham Forest feeling very, very aggrieved here. Right into PGMOL um, regarding the fact that the goal stood because, you know, while it wasn't spotted on the field, they were believing that it should have been spotted in the uh, in the VAR room instead. Um, but for me from this, I just think it's completely embarrassing. Embarrassing in the fact that none of the players spotted it. I don't know what they were looking at or who they were looking at or where they were looking at, but maybe Forrest should spend more time focusing on getting their players drilled in how to build a proper wall than writing letters to PGMOL that isn't going to overturn anything, isn't going to change anything. And these situations probably don't occur that often, whereas if you build a wall, you might actually have stood a chance. I don't know what they were thinking, even if Tony had moved. Like, just, just the whole setup of it, if you've not watched it, go and look at it. It was just a gaping gap that they left and now they're writing and moaning, uh, writing letters and moaning about it. it just seems bizarre to me at least anyway i'm not sure what they don't occur that often but of what you just said i think there's i think it's the opposite issue i think this is something that happens every week in every game players trying to get a tiny bit of a benefit whether it's moving a free kick whether it's stealing yards or throwing putting ball putting the ball you know as far away from the corner flag as possible and taking a corner this is you know it's, it happens every single week every single game in the premier league probably and um, yeah, as you say, it, there's a way to stop that ball going in the goal, and that's to build a better wall. And Forest, Forest will have, you know, Forest are going to draw attention to this. Someone, I'm sure, will dig out an example of them trying to take a, a similar kind of tiny advantage in the game. All the teams do it. If it wasn't Ivan Tony, if it wasn't a week where there are only two games on the Saturday, I don't think we'd be talking about it at all. I think it's it's something that's kind of come from, you know, a lack of other football action. And yeah, I mean, it'll happen next week. People shouldn't get on a strip because it's happened every week this season. But Tom, one, one thing that we forgot to talk about, or at least I forgot to talk about earlier on, um, when we're talking about t- teams down near the bottom of the table and sliding down is, of course, Crystal Palace after that game against Arsenal at the weekend, uh, sliding towards the wrong end of the table. Pressure on Roy Hodgson as well came out after the game itself in his post-match press comments saying that, you know, his future, it's it's out of his hands. It's a decision for Steve Parrish and the Crystal Palace board to make. And I suppose, you know, Roy wouldn't have been too pleased to, to get wind of the fact that Graham Potter was in the stands as well, someone who's been linked with, with Crystal Palace in the past, despite his, his previous ties to Brighton and, of course, the rivalry that exists between those two teams. But Potter was in the stands to watch the game. Uh, very interesting he was there for that game, of course, because he doesn't have links to either either side, does he? I don't believe. You know, I don't think he's going to be taking the Arsenal job anytime soon, anyway. Um, but for for Roy Hodgson, is he up against it at Crystal Palace? Is he facing a battle? You know, of course, the issue here is is that we're coming towards the end of the transfer window. Any new manager would like an opportunity to to kind of get in, assess the squad, and, and kind of know the changes that he makes. Chances are Roy Hodgson, because Crystal Palace are out of the FA Cup already, if they don't make that change this week, he is still going to be in charge past deadline day for Crystal Palace. So whoever comes in has to work with this squad anyway. So is Hodgson the best man with this squad, or is or is there perhaps someone else out there that Crystal Palace may be looking at and thinking he could do a better job with this team? Yeah, so I was at the um, Arsenal Palace game last season, which was maybe a month or so after this. It was um, you know the, the last game before Hodgson took over. Um, in February, March sort of time last season and Palace looked 
then their feet against Arsenal, admittedly a very good Arsenal team. And it's a challenge of, you know, if they bring that Hodgson, is that going to be enough? And I think there were a few people with their doubts at that point. He proved that he could still do it after that, um, after, you know, a couple of difficult years before that. And, you know, the, the football they were playing towards the end of last season was fantastic at times. And I think it is it is important to remember the squad that did that is not the squad they have now. So having the obvious massive loss, but also I'm not sure Elise and Eza have played more than a game together this season um, due to, you know, that almost overlapping injuries. Um, so, yeah, the question is, you know, where it's not just like can can a new manager do it with the squad? I think a, a new manager can absolutely do it with a fully fit, fully stocked Crystal Palace squad. It's whether they're going to have that for the remainder of the season. At least he's not just had the one injury from France duties. He's had another since he's come back. Ezra's had a couple of setbacks. Um, they don't have John Ayew back from Afcon for a little while. France hasn't really. Proved himself to be a starter since joining in the summer, but I think that's, you know, always a tall order in his first season. And I'm not sure, yeah, again, you mentioned you mentioned the January window. I'm not sure what money there is to spend in that department as well, having, you know, lost one of their prized assets for nothing over the summer in Zaha. And they should probably have enough points on the board to, you know, have a bit of a cushion, but it is going to be a challenge. Um, Potter is an interesting thought for that job as well. After, you know, early on at Brighton, he was kind of in a relegation battle and, you know, his his team was performing to a level that should have been above that, but not picking up the results, which is I'm not, not sure it's necessarily what you want at this stage in the season. But if they're looking at a longer term thing, if they're thinking, okay, the table's a bit deceptive, we're going to be okay this season, get someone in, get to look at the squad, get a preseason, and then build, then, yeah, perhaps Potter is the right profile and manager for that. Tom, moving things on to the transfer window now, and like I said there uh, earlier on in the show, uh, we're ticking down towards deadline day, recording this on the 22nd of January, so we've not got long left, just uh, about 10 days or so left before the transfer window shuts uh, until this summer. Uh, and one name that keeps cropping up daily now is Kieran Trippier, uh, the Newcastle fullback being linked, heavily linked with a move to Bayern Munich, who we will know are in the market for a new right back this window. Um in terms of you know this story, Newcastle are adamant that they won't be selling unless they receive a, a very satisfactory offer. Reports over the weekend that they'd already turned down one approach from Bayern for Trippier. Um, we've not had really much of a saga in this window yet. Is this the saga of the window? Is this a transfer that's going to run and run right up until deadline day? Or are we going to get a resolution one way or the other before then? Yeah, I think it could be. Um, yeah, he's, he's a player who's shown in the past he's not averse to a, a January move, right? And um you know, Newcastle not having Champions League anymore, not having Europe whatsoever. You can understand if if it is the case that he wants, you know, a chance to win the Champions League but having, you know, come close and never never actually done it. So um from his point of view, if Bayern have told him we want you, you're gonna play for us. We've got Champions League football. We've got a title to fight for. You're going to be playing with Harry Kane. I get it. I, I, I get why 
he might think at, at his age, like his last chance maybe to, to get that kind of those kind of honours. From Newcastle's perspective, um, you know, we've we've heard a lot about their need to sell in order to buy. I get them, you know, as soon as there's interest in the player, they're not going to want to say, okay, yeah, first offer, you got him. Um, they're going to want to, you know, to bring in the funds because I think Eddie Howe still need, still feels at least he needs to strengthen the squad in January with all the injuries with Tonali's ban. Um, so, yeah, it's one where whether it runs and runs depends on, you know, the level of hard pull that the two clubs want to play. Um, Bayern have another option, Michele. They might decide, okay, fine, we want someone in long before 30 versus Jan. We're going we're gonna to just say, well, thanks, Newcastle, but we're going we're gonna to look at Michele now and you can keep Trippier for the rest of the season and maybe revisit in the summer. Yeah, without being disrespectful to Kieran Trippier here, he is no spring chicken, though, when it comes to his age. And, and that's one thing that Nordi Michele does have over him in, in this, in my respect. And, and normally, you know, these bigger clubs, these short-term deals, these these kind of, you know, it will cover a gap for us for the next year, 18 months or so. That That's normally not how these bigger clubs operate. So from, from that point, I'm a little bit surprised that Bayern are in for Kieran Trippier. There's no doubt in his ability but again, it's when he's fallen, it's, it's not been the best for Newcastle this season. Are you slightly surprised that Bayern are looking at Trippier? Like I said, you know, there's no doubt in his previous work and what's gone before. And yes, we know that there's a very, very talented fullback in there. But those levels that we saw in the first kind of, you know, what was it, year, 18 months at Newcastle, he's not been able to hit those heights this season. And for me, for a big club, I, I just find it slightly interesting I think is the best word I'm trying to pick the words there but I'll, I'll pick interesting as, as the one that I'll go with, that, New, uh, that that Bayern are interested in, in Kieran Trippier at least heavily interested in Kieran Trippier yeah I do think Bayern have kind of broken the mould in terms of you know how a big club might approach things especially with their January buys recently but um, you know also with with the Coutinho deal with the Perisic deal with Hannes Rodriguez they, they do like a player who's maybe kind of gone off the boil that a decent level club to the point where, oh no, he is now within our grasp um, in a way that, you know, previously might have been restricted to Premier League buyers or, you know, top Spanish buyers. Um, especially in January as well. They, you know, they bought, they brought in Daily Blint in January. Um, they did uh, did the deal for Joao Cancelo, the Odriozola deal from Real Madrid as well. These are, all of them, you look at them in, you know, individually and think, okay, it's a, a bit of a weird left field one. Same with Eric Dyer as well. And then you look at them in, all together and think, oh, no, maybe this is just what Bayern do in a January window. Um, so, yeah, I'd agree Trippier's form, you know, maybe maybe since that um, the uh, the PSG away game um, around that kind of period has, has kind of tailed off. Um, but, you know, it's a player who... Sony can do it at a lot of levels. Sony can do it in more than one country, more than one team, more than one kind of profile of team as well. Um, and from that point of view, you know, Thomas Tuchel knows what Kim Trippier can do. He's, you know, he's not not looking at that for no reason. He clearly sees a place for him in that team. And, uh, you know, Bayern haven't been at the best themselves. They probably do need a bit of a refresher in January just to, to revive that league bid after, you know, the risk of Leverkusen running away with it now. A 
did see something over the weekend that was, uh, as a Spurs fan, I did find it quite funny pointing out that Thomas Tuchel's trying to rebuild Pochettino's Tottenham in an effort to win trophies, which eluded them. Um, as a Spurs fan, yes, I, you know, I did cry, but I did find it funny as well at the same time. Maybe Thomas Tuchel's going to ring up Danny Rose soon and see what he's up to as well as to add him to the squad. Um, but one man that we've already spoken about a little bit this morning, Ivan Tony, he's returned for Brentford at the weekend. Um, before he even returned, before he even kicked the ball this month, there was plenty of talk about his future and, and whether or not he could be on the move. Arsenal being linked, Chelsea being linked. Um, and of course, those clubs that, that are interested in maybe have looked at how he performed at the weekend and thought, OK, there is no ring rust there. You know, maybe they might be tempted to go for him. That being said, the Mirror this morning carrying reports that Ivan Tony himself is, is you know, not looking, not going to press at least for a move away from Brentford this January. And I suppose looking long term, and as we said earlier on in the show, looking at his uh, chances of getting his Gareth Southgate Euro squad this summer, for me, I feel that he's he is best served by staying at Brentford. And, uh, I hope you agree on this fact, otherwise this, this could be slightly awkward. Uh, but he is best served by staying at Brentford because he knows that so well and he just has to get back into the scoring swing there rather than try to establish himself at a new team as well. Do you agree with that? You know, there was a period maybe before Tony got his first call up where they, they might have thought that, okay, does he need to be playing for a, a club in Europe? Um, you know, Champions League club potentially to be in with the looking with Gareth Southgate, but the fact that he got a call up while playing for Brentford, the fact that he's it was so prolific last season and that he's, you know, started as, you know, picked up where he left off. Um, yeah, I think he will look at it and think, I'll start every week for Brentford. I'll score goals for Brentford. That was enough last time before the ban. That should be enough again. Um it's, it's always a challenge, you know, with the player kind of making that sort of making that move mid-season. You can make that move at the start of the season. Um, so I remember a few years ago, um, Bakayoko moving to Chelsea from Monaco when he was, you know, probably one of the the first names to make the the twenty three for France for the twenty eighteen World Cup, and then falling well away after that Chelsea season and not getting a World Cup winners medal. And yeah, I think Tony will. Um, will feel he definitely has the opportunity with England to, you know, to get in the squad by just keeping doing what he's doing. I think there's, you know, there's not heaps of players in attack. Um, obviously, there are there are a few who are in decent form this season who haven't really done it for England. So I think he's definitely in the conversation already, you know, hitting double figures in 15 games, if that's what it takes. I think that would that would get him in the squad and, yeah, take it from there. Whether it, whether it means... Minutes of the Euros is a different question, but yeah. A couple of other players that we're hoping to be in that England Euro squad as well are Calvin Phillips and James, uh, not James Ward, first Emil Smith Rowe. I'm getting my. Uh double-barreled names uh, mixed up there. But of course, the reason why James Ward-Prowse was on my mind is that Emil Smith-Rowe and Calvin Phillips have been linked with a move to West Ham in this window. Um, and for West Ham, and this is what we're going to finish the show on this morning, Tom, for West Ham is midfield the area that they need to improve the most on, you know, coming into this, they'll be disappointed with uh, coming into this week. They'll be disappointed with the fact that they drew 2-2 at Sheffield United. Perhaps could have killed that game off. You look, you kind of wonder, do they need that out-and-out number nine this month, perhaps? Instead, you know, Jared Bowen's been playing a little bit further forward. Of course, they are without Mohamed Kutis as well, um, whilst he's away the Africa Cup of Nations. So that is a big blow for their attacking options. But midfield looks to be the area that they're trying to strengthen um, the most. Do, do, do you feel that that's the area of concern for West Ham in this window that needs to be strengthened before deadline day? I think the Sheffield United game, um, obviously West Ham missing maybe six or seven players for that game, but I think the one that was most clearly missed was uh, Edson Alvarez. 
I think West Ham weren't able to kind of get a foothold on the game in midfield. Um, he's he's been fantastic at that since coming in over the summer. I think it was um, Sojek and War Prowse at the pivot, which doesn't kind of scream, you know, control of the game even against a team bottom of the league, and uh, that that's what hit West Ham like, you know. And with a few of the more senior players available, I think they would have just you know been able to control it, keep them on the corner for the last couple of minutes, and there wouldn't have been the uh, the late drama. There wouldn't have been the complaints that West Ham should have had a penalty after the equaliser. Like that wouldn't be that wouldn't factor. That wouldn't be, uh, and that shouldn't be that shouldn't have factored for West Ham. I think Moyes came out and said as much. You know, just being disappointed in his players for not getting the win, which would have made all of that move. Um, so yeah, I think the issue with West Ham, whether they need to strengthen midfield, comes down to injuries. Comes down to whether how long Alvarez is out for, how long Pakatar is out for. Um, because I think we saw from the Sheffield United game that that is not a midfield setup that they can really kind of rely on. Um, but yeah, I think you know depth depth is clearly an issue. I think the fact that Jared Bowen has been playing as a nine this season shows you know maybe they do need an orthodox nine to be able to mix things up a bit, be able to you know offload some squad players, say Ben Rama, Pablo Fornals, both being linked with moves. Uh, be able to use Bowen back on a wide role and be able to, you know, have someone, whether that's, I think Amanda Broja is the one who's been mentioned the most loudly, whether it's him or someone else, I think. Yeah, a, a striker would solve West Ham's problems more urgently than than midfield. But, you know, Moyes has been a big fan of Calvin Phillips for a long time. So again, that wouldn't surprise me if that goes through. With Calvin Phillips, you know, for, for Smith Rowe, it's probably a very, very long shot at this, this stage, you know, even if he was to, you know, perhaps do what Lingard did at West Ham, Jesse Lingard a couple of years ago from the last Euros um, and, and go on low and, and, and smash it. You know, even if Smith Rowe was to replicate that, you kind of feel like it would be quite tough for him to break into the England squad for the Euros. That being said, Calvin Phillips, on the other hand, um, is, is someone who Gareth Southgate clearly trusts, clearly respects, clearly likes. But does he still need, you know, it doesn't matter who it is or where it is. And as we said, you know, at, at the minute, it looks like potentially West Ham it has been linked with Newcastle. I think Juventus room for him at one point this month as well. Is Calvin Phillips in need of regular football to guarantee his place in Gareth Southgate's squad for the Euros this summer? And is he likely to get that at West Ham as well? I mean, chances are, I think he, he probably is. But you, you look at that other midfield and you, and you look at the other options that they've got in there as well. And you said Edson Alvarez, you've already mentioned James Ward-Prowse, Thomas Sarchek is still loved by David Moyes in, in the main as well. So there's still options there for him to try to get past. But he, for me at least, he seems like he does need that move this January to cement that, that spot in the England squad for the Euros this summer. It's, it's a strange position that England find themselves in really with... Um... With central midfield options, obviously, um, I think a lot of the Phillips situation will depend on how John Henderson adapts to Ajax, whether he looks like someone who, okay, can still do it in Europe, can still kind of perform at a decent level. Because uh, obviously, he's another one who Southgate has continued to trust, continued to pick, despite maybe no longer being at the levels he was when he when he broke into the team. Um, and yeah, Phillips has been getting games for England even when, you know, he's it, it feels like Pep Guardiola doesn't even know his name at times at City. Um so yeah, there's it's a, it's a situation for him that's different from the Smith Rowe one just because of competition. Um we don't know what Calvin Phillips is gonna look like playing regular first team football in the Premier League because it's something he hasn't done. I mean, even 
his last season at Leeds, he missed a lot of games through injury. I, I can't remember exactly how many he played, but it's been a long time since he's had a sort of a full 30 plus game season. So it's almost like it benefits him from an England perspective to be playing regularly for England, playing fleetingly for his club and still seemingly fitting into how Southit sets up. Tom, thank you so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. As always, of course, you can keep up to date for the latest from the Premier League and the Carabao Cup as well. Not to forget that, in fact, that we've got the second leg of the semi-finals this week. Uh, Chelsea taking on Middlesbrough on Tuesday night. We'll host at Liverpool on Wednesday. Uh, so you can keep up to date for the latest from those games and, of course, everything to do with the transfer window uh, across the Daily Mirror, Daily Star and Daily Express websites. But for now, it's goodbye. 